Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver, joined tonight as always by Mr. Mike McDaniel. Mike, we had a bit of a light slate this weekend. I don't think there was any shortage of entertaining moments, though. Uh, yeah, and we had so we have four games, and... I was going to say, we, we they, almost had five games to recap here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we had, yeah, we have uh, four games. This recap might be a little bit shorter uh, than what everybody's used to, which, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners will uh, be happy with, considering you and I ramble, 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 on and on. But most of the stuff I like to think, uh, most of the information we like, you know, I like to think that it's worth something. But I guess, you know, we'll leave that up to the listeners. And hopefully this week, even though it's a little bit shorter recap, potentially with these four games, uh, hopefully we still provide some meaningful insight here. I mean, nobody's told us any different. But then again, I mean, are we really a real podcast until we have haters? That's right. Yeah, so if, if you guys think that we kind of suck, please tell us, because you're, you're a crucial part of this progress, or this uh, process to being a validated podcast. So, anyways, yeah, like you said, we had uh, all of four games this weekend in the ACC, only three of them on Saturday. We had the one starting out on Thursday night, and that's where I wanted to start, Mike. So, this was your Virginia Tech Hokies 37, Miami of Mr. Cam Underwood 16. A big 21-point win for the Hokies at home uh, in a what we talked all about last week being a classic Thursday night atmosphere. And this one was close for a little while, but really it felt like there was never really a whole lot of doubt of how this one was going to go. Uh, Virginia Tech kind of jumped on him early and, and just had success moving the ball most of the night, and uh, things just kind of piled on in the second half there for the Hokies. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely agree with that. I think, uh, you know, one major takeaway here from – you know, Virginia Tech side is obviously they ran the football extremely well. It's the first time in a while that they've really had a running game that's kind of uh, been solidified and that's been there consistently from start to finish. And, you know, in this game, you look at Virginia Tech with Trayvon McMillan, 18 carries for 131 yards, and then Sherrod Evans, 13 carries, 98 yards. Both players obviously averaging uh, over seven yards per carry. And anytime you have that in a game, that's going to be huge for your for your offensive success, and I think with Virginia Tech, at least in recent weeks, they've struggled with having balance on both on, on offense, both passing and running the football, because the running game uh, just hasn't been there one way or another, whether it be from the offensive line not blocking, uh, not staying on their blocks long enough for the holes to open up for McMillan or Williams or whoever was getting the ball for Virginia Tech, but um, ultimately the offense in recent weeks has been kind of too one-sided, too heavy on the on the pass, and you know, I, I don't even really necessarily count the North Carolina game just because that game was played in a hurricane, so they had no choice but to run the football. But, um, yeah, Virginia Tech's offense obviously coming into this game. Uh, they needed some balance if they wanted to be successful against Miami's defense because, look, you know, the way Miami had played defensively, we thought they were pretty good, but they hadn't really been tested by an offense as prolific as Virginia Tech's to date. And, you know, we kind of saw what, what they were made of. Um, the defensive line obviously was a shell of itself with all the injuries they had up front. They were missing um, they were missing three defensive linemen, a linebacker, 
Um, just a lot of guys missing there in the front seven uh, that usually play um, most downs for that Miami defense. So that was huge in this game. And Virginia Tech knew it, and they ran it right down their throats, and that was huge. Um, as a team, the Hokies ran for 251 yards. Obviously, crucial to success of a football team when you can run for that amount of yards against a pretty uh, a decent defense. And Sherrod Evans was pretty solid once again, um, throwing the football. This is probably his best game of the year. He was 21 of 33 for 259 and two touchdowns. Pretty solid performance out of him. And, um, you know, if there was one thing on the other side of the ball defensively, I thought the Hokies really were able to get after Brad Kaya and expose that offensive line that has been pretty porous in recent years. We thought there might have been some improvement, but now it looks like, at least in the last couple of weeks with the way Miami's offensive line has played, that it might be more attributed to the four games they opened up with to start the year against defenses that didn't necessarily bring it um, as much as some of the uh, more recent teams that they've played against uh, when you consider the Florida State defensive front and Virginia Tech's defensive front here now in recent weeks. And, you know, the Hokies were really able to get after Brad Kaya, sacking him eight times. The running game for Miami, which has been an Achilles heel now for um, or, or has grown into an Achilles heel now that Miami's in their conference schedule continued to be a problem. They had 29 carries for 42 yards. Virginia Tech was missing starting defensive tackle Nigel Williams. Um, well, I, I, he's not always starting, but he's a major rotational player. Regardless, uh, he and Woody Barron uh, both rotate in and out. You saw why Woody Barron, two and a half sacks, a bunch of tackles for loss in this game. He was a huge factor for Virginia Tech's defensive front. And Kenny Kanan was missing, um, former All-ACC defensive end, uh, a guy that really makes an impact on a game for the Hokies. He's a really important player on the defensive side of the ball for them, and he wasn't able to play either. Didn't end up mattering. Trayvon Hill, he's a freshman. Virginia Tech, he made his presence felt in, in place of a Kanan. Uh, was a guy who lost his grandmother, actually, earlier in the week, was flying you know, across the country um, and back, and you know, gets back in time for the Thursday night game and, and turns in uh, the best performance of his young career here as he's only a freshman so a lot of guys stepped up for Virginia Tech it was a really impressive performance there by their defense and really overall uh, top to bottom just a really impressive win for the Hokies and one they needed after that uh, debacle that they had at Syracuse uh, the previous Saturday so big win for the Hokies a big jumping off point here for the rest of the season and right now Joey they're in the driver's seat in the Coastal. Mike, you and a lot of the listeners will remember a few weeks ago when we had Cam Underwood on from State of the U uh, to preview Miami taking on Florida State. And one of the things that he talked about was the the change in philosophy that Miami was going under this year to really kind of be a little more run-focused, try to run the ball a little more versus some of the more arid-out tendencies we'd seen from them in, in recent years. And that's a trend that, I mean, they've they've stuck with the run over their last several games, but... It hasn't been good. Uh, basically, if you look at through seven games now, here's here's Miami's rushing outputs. 36 for 373, 39 for 279, 31 for 164, 27 for 114, 28 for 62, 36 for 139, 29 for 42. And that was like my biggest takeaway from this game was was the, the defensive output for Virginia Tech was just stifling. And I don't know that we could sit here and really say that uh, – that it was a, um, let's see, I don't know. I mean, a lot of those yardage, to be fair, came on Brad Kaya sacks. He was sacked eight times. I mean, that's a huge deal. Um, and, and if you take out that yardage, Joe Yervy, Mark Walton still came out close to 100 yards. But ultimately, from a team that's trying to rebrand itself as a power-running team, 20 carries for 97 yards is not going to get it done. And 
it was a it was really a suffocating effort from the Virginia Tech defense against an offense that's had some problems, uh, but at the very least can still be very explosive uh, with Miami. So I was very impressed by that. I was impressed with how Virginia Tech bounced back on offense. They had a really ugly game the week before uh, at Syracuse. Come in on only three days rest or four days rest, whatever it was, Saturday to Thursday. And uh, seemed like they really didn't didn't even miss a step. Um, went for over 500 yards of offense and, and all sorts of yards per play. I mean, it was a it was a really good performance from Virginia Tech on both sides of the ball, limiting Miami to only 16 points. I mean, that's that's an accomplishment by itself. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was impressed with Virginia Tech and continue to be disappointed with Miami. We were kind of maybe sold a little bit of a false bill of goods there a few weeks ago when Miami was put into the top. 10, 11-ish range, and they're now, they've lost three games in a row, and sure, I mean, Florida State, they lost by a missed extra point, and North Carolina, they only lost by seven, but uh, the the offensive outputs in either of those games was highly unimpressive, and this really didn't do a whole lot of anything to kind of reverse that narrative at all. Yeah, I mean, the false bill of goods thing, I'm 100% on board with that, I, you know, um, it, it was kind of absurd to see Miami ranked where they were ranked after beating the teams that they beat in the first four weeks. It was like, okay, you're going to go from unranked or number 24 or 25, depending on what polls you looked at, to number 10 in the country after playing who? App State, uh, Florida, Florida A&M, right? Like, they hadn't played anybody. And we were looking at Miami, and we've, we've had Cam on a couple of times. And, you know, I think Cam also thought that they were improved. I mean, I thought they were improved. I think we all thought they were an improved team. Now, I thought number 10 was a little absurd um, for them to jump that high. I mean, I think a lot of that, honestly, was media-driven because they want to see Miami be back, you know, be the team that they were in in the 80s and the 90s and uh, the early 2000s when they were, you know, one of the better teams in all college football. And college football is obviously more fun when teams like Miami are really, really good. So, I get, I get it, I guess, from that perspective, but there was no real reason to put Miami up at number 10, and now the last few weeks here, they're kind of showing us that they might not have deserved that ranking, um, or definitely didn't deserve that ranking. Now, to be fair, they lost to Florida State late on a fluky play. Uh, the North Carolina game, they just didn't run the ball well, um, and by the time they did, it was too late. Their defense couldn't stop Mitch Trubisky in that game at all. And then this Virginia Tech game, I think it's just kind of um, – you know, it's kind of the peak of the meltdown here for Miami running the football. Um, I, you know, a lot of it, like you said, was Brad Kaya sacks, uh, you know, because they count sacks as, you know, negative rushes in college football. Brad Kaya had nine carries for negative 55 yards, so that obviously skews that 29 for 42 total. But like you said, you know, even so, Joe Yerby and Mark Walton, um, you know, they they run for almost 100 yards together if you take out Brad Kaya's sacks, but it never really felt like their presence was really felt in this football game, and that's a problem for Miami. Um, they need to have Yerby and Walton making plays in the running game. The offensive line obviously needs to block a whole lot better and take a little pressure off of Brad Kaya because now that we're getting into conference play, all of a sudden we're seeing the Miami offense that we've seen in recent years where all of a sudden it has all fallen on Brad Kaya's shoulders and now he's got to throw for 400 yards and four or five touchdowns for Miami to have a chance of winning a game comfortably. And you can't have that happen. That's not a way for, for teams to win in college football. It might be a recipe for success in like the Big 12, but 
you know, they play no defense there. So um, against any team with any caliber of defense, you need to have a more balanced attack here in college football. And for Miami, I think that's something that they're working towards. But obviously with their offensive line play needing to improve, um, I, I think that, you know, they're kind of a long ways away from being back officially. As you mentioned, this kind of puts Virginia Tech back into the driver's seat for the Coastal. Not sure that they were ever really out of that driver's seat, but uh, suffice it to say that with Carolina and Miami behind them, uh, that's those are probably their two toughest games on the schedule, at least in conference play. So not totally out of the woods for Virginia Tech, but they are squarely in control uh, of their ability to get to the ACC championship game this year. Meanwhile, Miami, uh, we talked about before the season how it was a, a tough schedule for them and how they – they could be a pretty good team and still kind of finish with a, not a great record. Um, this is three straight losses for them. They're not out of the woods either. They've got the next two games on the road at Notre Dame and at home against Pittsburgh. Um, I think, you know, Miami still could very easily win pretty much everything left on their schedule. I mean, those are all very winnable games if you're Miami, but uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect like an 8-4 and four finish for the Hurricanes as things look right right now, which is good in year one under Mark Rick. There's no issues with that, and that's an improvement over what Al Golden was doing. But at the same time, uh, I think it's a little bit of a coming back down to earth kind of moment from where folks found themselves earlier in the year. So good performance from Virginia Tech. Uh, not a very encouraging one from Miami. They continue to have these same issues that we'd seen for a couple weeks now. And uh, curious to see if the Notre Dame defense is the, is the cure for uh, what ails Miami right now. Probably will be. Yeah, data would tell us it is, and then it'll yeah. apparently just completely fall apart afterwards, which is yeah. Brian, of... v, Brian, <laughs> Brian V. Gorder would tell us it is anyway. <laughs> Brian V. Gorder would tell us a lot of things. Um, all right, anyways, yeah. Virginia Tech thirty-seven, Miami sixteen. Let's move on to an absolute satisfying. Just this was this felt good, Mike. As a as a Louisville fan, the freight train from hell offense is. Fully back on the rails, full steam ahead. Louisville 54, NC State 13. Uh, the the Cardinals offense continues to victimize their opponents. I love using that word in this context. Um, <laughs> this was just a total shellacking. We talked about the possibility that this might happen last week. Is NC State coming off a game where they just so nearly won a rivalry game on the road over a top five opponent? I mean... And then you go into a, a noon game also on the road and trying to get up for that. That can't be easy. And they just looked flat. And, and Louisville just rolled in this game from the, from the, out, from the outstart. Yeah. Uh, you know, Louisville scored, what, it was like two and a half minutes into a game, and Lamar Jackson broke that long, that long touchdown run. Uh, the guy doesn't stop making plays. I mean, I think that's the obvious takeaway is that he's still uh, he's still in the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy, as if that was even a question. But Lamar Jackson, once again in this game, just continues his stellar season, 355 yards passing, three touchdowns. He had 76 yards rushing and another touchdown. The Lamar Jackson touchdown counter is now at 34. I was going to say, you blinked and they were up 41 nothing, and then they cruised to a 54-13 to win. I mean, it was... From the back half of the first quarter, um, so Louisville scores that early touchdown. Then they'll score again till probably the five or six minute mark. You know, without having it in front of me, the, the five or six minute mark um, of the first quarter. And then you're thinking, okay, well, NC State's finally settling in. Maybe this will be competitive. And then Louisville rattles off 27 points in the second quarter to put the put the game firmly out of reach. And 
and that was the moment where I switched over to the Wisconsin game, and I was like, oh, okay, let's put on something a little bit more interesting. And then, of course, Wisconsin and Iowa, it was like 6 nothing or whatever. I was like, okay, well, let's watch a defensive struggle instead of the offensive shellacking over there um, on ABC. But, yeah, Louisville is just really impressive. I, I think the one bigger takeaway in this game is NC State, you know, um, obviously played well. Uh, played well last week against Clemson. Uh, the game against Notre Dame, you, you're saying, okay, well, that's a good win for NC State, but it was in a hurricane, so how much do we really learn about NC State? We weren't necessarily sure, but we, we thought, okay, well, even though Notre Dame's like having a down year, they obviously still have athletes across the board, and you're thinking, okay, NC State, they can hang with those types of athletes, and they've you know, further solidified that belief the following week when they go into Death Valley and nearly beat Clemson, and you're thinking, okay, maybe NC State's really got something good going here, even though they're not winning, they're at least gaining some confidence. Then the Louisville game happens here on Saturday, and you're sitting there after the game is over, and you're thinking, man, what the hell happened to NC State? And three consecutive noon starts will do that to you, um, especially when you're playing calibers of teams like Notre Dame with all the athletes they have, even though they're 2-5. and five. Uh, Clemson, obviously, being one of the better teams in all college football. And then getting Louisville the following week, who is another one of the best teams in college football. That, that's, that's tough when you're going back-to-back-to-back to back to back like that especially for NC State going on the road the last two weeks against Clemson and Louisville. That stuff all starts to catch up with you, and I think they just finally came down from it here uh, against Louisville, and Lamar Jackson was just a little bit too much for them, obviously. Um, But it it was apparent from the start that NC State was coming out a little bit flat, and you knew that they couldn't come out flat in this game, have the penalties that they had, especially against Clemson. You knew that that couldn't happen again here uh, this weekend against Louisville, and they, they had some early penalties, some early turnovers that kind of ended up snowballing for them, and Louisville took full advantage, as they have all season, scoring on their opponents when their opponents have made mistakes. So that was the takeaway from this one. NC State maybe not quite as good as we thought, but I still think they're an improving football team. They just finally hit a wall here um, against a Louisville team that's you know firing on all cylinders right now. Mike, I was telling people a couple of weeks ago that I thought that Clemson might have been the only defense good enough to keep Louisville under 50 points this year. And in only like a semi-joking manner, like, no, but actually like Louisville could put up 50 on basically anybody it looks like. And then I was simultaneously like kind of disappointed and also a little bit embarrassed when Duke like needed to be, you know, needed to kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit to give up 24 to Louisville uh, the following week. And it's like, well, this is this is worrisome. I mean, uh, kind of coming off uh, of a bye week and a, a big performance against Clemson, they you know Louisville kind of went out and laid an egg on, on offense last week, and this was kind of a, a return to normalcy for this offense, and, and it felt so good. I mean, you mentioned they were up forty-one to nothing at halftime. Um, I, I turned off the TV right as college game day ended and had to drive twelve minutes to my in-laws' house, and by the time I got there, it was already ten nothing. Um, and it just it felt like a, a freaking slot machine, you know, of, of winner, 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 you know, for Louisville just up and down the field all day long. So that's a huge game. Uh, Lamar Jackson becomes the first quarterback in ACC history with 15 passing touchdowns and 15 rushing touchdowns in a year. Oh, and it's still October, by the way. So uh, he might easily start the what, 25-25 club? I mean... Okay, I, okay, I was actually... It's funny that you said that, because that was going to be my next question for you. I was actually posed this earlier in the week when I was on the when I was on a radio show. It was, hey, you know, if Lamar Jackson, you know, goes for a 25-25 season, one, do you think that's 
that's in play? And my answer was absolutely it's in play, and that was before the NC State game. And two, is he the automatic Heisman winner if he goes 25-25? And it's like, you know, in my mind, with who's going up against him right now, it's essentially a three-man race as currently stands here. Uh, as we as we get towards the end of October, it's Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and probably Jabril Peppers from Michigan, and then who else really? Um, you know, Washington's quarterback obviously is having a really good year, but right now it's really Lamar Jackson and everybody else. But I guess if you had to have a top three, it's Jackson, uh, Watson, and Peppers right now. And are any of them going to contend for a Heisman Trophy against him the way it's currently looking? Probably not. But I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played. But I think. In my opinion, anyway, one, a 25-25 season definitely in play. And two, if he does that, lock it up. I mean, the, the, Heisman, the Heisman race is over at that point. Yeah, we're talking about some pretty unprecedented territory here. Uh, Lamar Jackson, by the way, scoring 30 points per game by himself, which is better than, like, half the country. And that's entire teams, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's sickening to think about. It's pretty insane. Yeah, there are 62 teams in the country that are scoring 30 points a game or more. And that that means there's a lot more that aren't. <laughs> and, and Lamar Jackson's outscoring all of them by himself, which is crazy. So, good time to be a Cardinal fan. Good time to be Lamar Jackson. Uh, they they need to just keep blowing the doors off people going down the, the stretch if they want to keep their names in the, uh, the playoff contention. Um, and, yeah, kind of a, a tough tough loss for NC State just to come out and just get thumped like that. Um they, they are not out of the woods either. They might be in a little bit of trouble, honestly. Uh, the Wolfpack sit at 4-3, and three, and they've got games against Boston College and Syracuse where they'll be favored. They've also got games against Florida State, Miami, and North Carolina left where I don't think they're going to be favored in any of those. Maybe against, maybe against Miami, but ultimately uh, they, they, they've got to take care of business here in a couple of these games left because they're running out of opportunities for, uh, for wins if, if we're being realistic in Raleigh. Yeah, but I, I was going to say one, la- one last thought. I definitely agree with that. I mean, the schedule is not going to be kind to of them down the stretch, so I think we'll actually get a better handle on how good or not good they actually are. They, I, I mean, I think they're, at worst, an average team, but at best, I mean, I think they're probably still a pretty good team despite what happened to them on Saturday against Louisville, so we'll find out here in the coming weeks. Louisville 54, NC State 13, big old 41-point win for the Cardinals, and they went over the 65 that I picked as my pick of the week last week. Winner. That puts all three of us at uh, at 1-0 on the week in picks of the week. You guys both had uh, Virginia Tech minus six, and they won by three touchdowns. Yep. That was, that, was a gut, that was a gut feeling, utter confidence pick, so I'm glad I'm on the board finally with my third win of the season. Keep it, keep it tuned to this here podcast for uh, any and all – Gambling advice of questionable merit. I was going to say, I'll win you guys a lot of money, sort of, like some weeks. <laughs> some anyway. weeks more than others. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. Oh, man. North Carolina 35, Virginia 14. Uh, this was pretty much business as usual. I mean, I think this is pretty much what we expected. Uh, it was maybe a little closer for a little longer than we were thinking. Uh, it was only 7 nothing North Carolina after the first quarter. It was 14-7 at halftime before the Tar Heels kind of turned on the Jets in the second half. Uh, we got good Mitch Trubisky this week. Uh, he went for t- uh, 24 for 31 for 310, three touchdowns, no picks. Continues to have a great stretch of uh, games when he doesn't throw an interception. He is excellent, and when he does, apparently is just like not even the same person. Um, Virginia continues to have some issues on offense. Uh, Kurt Benkert, not a great day, only 126 yards, although on 19 completions, so not being very efficient throwing the ball. 
Uh, Smoke Mizell, 19 carries for 106 yards, not bad. Overall, I mean, I think this game is just what we expected from it, Mike. This is, I mean, North Carolina is a better team, and they didn't really have any issues showing that. Yeah, it was touch and go for Virginia's offense, as it is most weeks. So uh, they, they were kind of screwed from the start when Kurt Benker didn't uh, get out to the start that he needed to get out to in order for Virginia to have a chance at winning this game. Obviously, only 126 yards passing on 32 attempts and only 19 completions, like you alluded to. Not a very efficient uh, efficient game passing yardage-wise, only averaging 3.9 yards uh, per completion on you know, a pretty decent complete, you know, 19 of 32 is not bad, but only averaging four yards of completion. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, the running game was okay, 19 for 106 for Smoke Mazzell, like you alluded to. But, yeah, you know, I thought Virginia's defense held up pretty valiantly there, at least in the first half. And I think the story in the second half was it was only a matter of time before North Carolina kind of stepped out and and uh, made the plays that they needed to make in order to win the game. And uh, offensively, they finally got going there, especially in the third quarter. They got a couple touchdowns there. Good Mitch Trubisky, like you mentioned. I mean, I think that's something we're starting to get now a little bit more often um, here in recent weeks. And some of that's due to the caliber of defense that he's playing. But also, he's just been he's been very good for most of this season. Um, and I think North Carolina fans don't necessarily give him the credit that he deserves. But, yeah, another three-touchdown performance, no interceptions on Saturday. I think that was huge. Elijah Hood, welcome back. Glad you're finally healthy. Um, you know, they've been talking about, you know, Larry Fedora's been talking about Elijah Hood being close to – close to healthy and then this week is the first week that we finally saw him break back out with a true Elijah Hood type performance 16 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown TJ Logan another good week running the football 10 for 61 and a touchdown so business as usual I thought North Carolina's defense played pretty well I think some of it is obviously Virginia's offense not being very good but I think some of it is also North Carolina's defense quietly improving and everybody's kind of forgetting about them because they had the big improvement um, last year, but they're, they're still struggling run on, on the run defense anyway, and now you're starting to see incrementally. Um, they're getting a little bit better week by week and gaining some confidence, so they'll be a fun team to watch here down the stretch because they're still a really good football team and a team that if Virginia Tech suffers another slip-up, uh, you know, they'll be the team that'll slide right into uh, contention there um, as, the, as the coastal winner and, and maybe a team that could challenge an ACC Atlantic team in the conference championship. We'll have to see, but North Carolina is just continuing to improve. Mitch Trubisky still number five in the country at 71.2% completions. Ryan Switzer finds himself tied for fourth in, with uh, 66 receptions, tied with Syracuse's Amba Etatawo, who we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Uh, so, yeah, good good day for North Carolina. Like you said, they combined to run for – why do I keep moving the stats? All right. Ran for 178 yards. I mean, that's a, that's a good day on the ground for the Tar Heels, so – uh, yeah, Virginia continuing to struggle kind of the way that we thought they might. North Carolina looks good again. Uh, that's, a, that's a good second win in a row after a, a, a tough loss to Virginia Tech. Tar Heels hanging around. They, uh, they'll be there if, if Virginia Tech slips up anywhere. But, uh, yeah, this is, again, pretty much what we expected. Nothing too crazy here in this game. There were a couple of cool plays. Uh, Virginia scored a touchdown on a swinging gate play, which – I mean, I don't know if that's the technical name for exactly what they did, but snapped the ball way out wide to their quarterback who's behind their offensive line who's out straddling the numbers and threw it back to the center, who I guess was a legal receiver with how they lined up. It was interesting. Go look it up. That was a cool play. Uh, UNC came back and ran this, like, double reverse flea flicker, throw it all the way down the field to Bug Howard. In double coverage, didn't care. He caught the ball and scored. That was a – that was – 
So some fun plays in this. Would definitely recommend looking those up. Um, anything else in this game, Mike? No, that was about it. Business as usual. Yeah, pretty straightforward here. Last one, Syracuse 28, Boston College 20. Sorry, Dan Rubin. Uh, Syracuse takes home the Orange Eagle trophy. We totally forgot to mention that. That's apparently become a thing, I think, between a couple of blogs online. But uh, Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, congrats. Uh, big winners. Um, yeah, so Dan was talking last week about how they really needed to win this game, really felt like they were going to. And it just never happened, and it wasn't like Boston College fell apart at the end. It was just Syracuse outplayed them kind of start to finish. Um, Boston College had an early lead, 3 nothing, and at that point, I mean, after a Syracuse touchdown in the middle of the first quarter, they were never better than tied the rest of the way. So that's that's a rough rough game, rough finish for, uh, for Boston College. You kind of hope to see some life from them coming off a of bye and everything like this, and and it's just not looking like it's happening for Steve Adazio and Boston Mike. The uh, the game didn't really seem as close as the final score indicated to me. Um, and, and like you mentioned, it's not happening for Steve Adazio. I think he mentioned in the press conference he kind of, you know, blew up at a reporter saying, you know, each game is the same to me and this, that, and the other thing. Well, you know, it better get a little bit better. Well, better get better. Well, Anyway, uh, for Steve Adazio, it needs to improve quickly because they haven't won a conference game. We're going on two years here shortly because I'm not sure there's a game remaining on their schedule um, that that they can win in conference uh, to snap this winless streak they're on. And Adazio's seat has been on fire. Uh, There's nothing really at this point, you know, in my opinion anyway, that'll keep him from losing his job. Offensively, they're a mess. Defensively, they're not nearly as good as they were last season, in my opinion. Um, I think a lot of it is at least their ranking being uh, where they were in the top 10 in the country and in total defense. Uh, a lot of it is due to who they've played. It's, it's a mess for BC right now. You know, their defense last year, you know, they were able to cover up a lot of issues that they had on offense and at least hang around in games. But this year, the defense isn't quite as good. And the offense is just not good enough to to make up for the incremental loss that they've had on the defensive side of the ball. So it's a disaster with BC right now. I don't I don't really know if there's any other way to slice it. For Syracuse, I mean it's another it's another good win on the road. I mean they continue to to push forward and and improve as a team. Dino Babers really has his guys playing hard, and you know they're not the most talented team in the ACC, but they do play hard, and he's got a great offensive system in place there. For the Orange, they're going to be successful here for years to come, but it's been really fun to watch them here in recent weeks continue to gain confidence on both the offensive and defensive sides of the football. Yeah, you can't help but be worried for Boston College. Uh, they're, they sit at 3-4. and four. They're going to miss a bowl. I mean, you just look at what they've got left on the schedule. NC State on the road, uh, Louisville, Florida State on the road, home against UConn, Wake Forest on the road. They're not going to be favored in any of those games, um, and – I, I struggle to think of any any of those conference games that they can win. NC State, Louisville, Florida State, and the Steam and Deacons. Um, Steam and Deeks, baby. The Steam and Deacons. Yeah, before the year I might have said they might have, but at this point, uh, probably not. Yeah, this is trouble for Steve Adazio. I, I continue to be amazed by how an offensive coach and a guy who built kind of his name as a coach on offense continues to have such poor offensive performances from his team so consistently. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, like, 
if you hire an offensive guy and his offense is bad, then what did you get? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, that's not good. I, I don't know that Dan Rubin had any great answers for it either last week when we talked to him. Um, you know, there's there's some faith there, but this is looking like a second straight year where Boston College is going to go winless in conference. Uh, they're probably going to go like three and nine as a final. Uh, I mean, maybe they can beat UConn, but I don't see him winning anything in conference. So. That'll be uh, if if that holds up. I mean, that's sixteen straight conference losses, <laughs> and that's in football. Um, not good for recruiting. No, not good for recruiting, and not really good for trying to look good to your boss if you're Steve Adazio. So not, yeah, not good for much of anything, honestly. No, yeah, yeah. Boston College in a lot of trouble here. I and I I just I don't know that we're gonna see any any change from this. Well, they can look forward to baseball season at least because their basketball team is going to be one of the worst teams in, in the entire country. So this is just the athletic department right now at BC. I mean, they they got a decent baseball program. Hockey team's decent. Football and basketball, probably the two major revenue-generating sports at any school. Uh, it's They're having God, pretty Boston considerate College. meltdowns. It's I'm just, so sorry. Just really, <laughs> really bad. It's... I don't know. Let's move on. It's ugly. It's not good for BC. Yeah, not good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess they went for 200 yards on the ground in this game. That's that's a positive, right? I mean, that's more than other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Is there we anything try to find like, positives. There's got to be something. Yeah, we try to find positives. I don't know. Um, they played competitively, sort of. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. It's nation guys would say they got some exercise. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, they ran around some. I don't know. Like Golly. NFL, yeah, they, uh, they exercise per NFL play sixty regulations. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. They they went out and played for thirty minutes today, so. They don't have to worry about being obese. I don't know. It's just it's a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. Thirty minutes of exercise. Well, so if we're being real, if we're being honest, a couple of them might have even gotten a little too much exercise, which brings us to our Go ACC moment of the week. Ooh, the segue. Oh, that's a segue for you, uh, Mike. Your boy, the track star, uh, also known as Usain Bolt, but also known as Patrick Tolls, in this game. <laughs> 75-yard touchdown run down the sideline like a gazelle. Just all, what, 6'5", 240 of them just running that 4740, killing it out there. Patrick Tolles, long run down the sideline, and in doing so, he tweaked his hamstring, and it Whoops. flared up later, and they had to take him out of the game. <laughs> oh, man. Go ACC. I was going to say, for those of you who, uh, I don't know, I have no frame of reference for the Go ACC moment of the week. We're back on the train of making fun of people. Um, <laughs> Patrick Tolles, you, are, you, sir, are a clown. Um, first of all, he was booking it down that sideline. I mean, I've never seen him run that fast. I mean, he, I knew he had some mobility, but the fact that he was able to take off and run like that, first of all, was impressive. Second of all, when I found out he tweaked his hamstring, got hurt on that play, and then once he got pulled out later in the game, I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh my god, Patrick Tolles, that's just, that's such a Boston College move right there. I was going to say, just, that's not like the epitome of Boston College football right now, is long, great play for a touchdown, and get hurt in the process, and it's your quarterback, and it costs you the game. 
just find a way to screw it up. If if we know anything about BC, it's that they don't have any other quarterbacks behind holes that are worth anything. So here we are. Surprise, surprise. Uh, didn't really go well the rest of the game for them. So Man. tough break for the Go ACC moment of the week. Go ACC, Patrick Tolles. And we actually, this week, felt like there was a need for a second Go ACC moment of the week. We didn't have a, a ton of candidates, but felt like this one could not go ignored. Virginia Tech had some fullback antics on Thursday night that could not go ignored. First of all, uh, a big old 52-yard catch and run uh, where, that saw, like, I don't know, like five broken tackles and ran all the way across the field. And it was really a, a sight for sore eyes and, and got a lot of likes on Twitter. We, we had a good tweet about that one. That was serious ACC action. And then later there was another fullback that was uh, throwing touchdown passes to another fullback, Mike. This is, this is like the epitome of crazy-ass ACC football nonsense action. I was going to say slam and Sammy Rogers, two catches for 72 yards in this one. Against Miami, he catches that long pass across the middle. He caught another pass later in the game, and then he was flipped the ball on a, on a handoff and then threw a touchdown pass to Stephen Peoples. Uh, Sam Rogers doing a little bit of everything for the Hokies. He continues to be one of their most important players on offense, and we had... A little bit of uh, a little bit of fullback weirdness on Thursday night, uh, getting the full all the fullbacks involved. So uh, go ACC moment of the week goes to Sam Rogers, and this is more of a positive thing and more of a fact that like only in the ACC would you have a fullback throwing a touchdown pass, running all over the field, breaking tackles, doing really weird college football stuff. Mike, I am always always down for some crazy ass fullback action. That was awesome. That's right. Sam freaking Rogers running around and throwing touchdown passes and breaking tackles, and that was cool. That was awesome. Um, so, yeah, two, two go ACC moments of the week this week. Patrick Tolles, you ran all the way down the sideline, scored a long touchdown, and hurt yourself in the process. Sam Rogers, you're doing things that lots of fullbacks just aspire to do. That was awesome. Keep that up. Go ACC. Last thing on week eight, Mike, and then we got actually a little bit more afterwards. Uh the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, and we're going to stay at this Virginia Tech-Miami game, where Miami offensive line, you guys really, really tried hard to protect Brad Kaya, and it just, well, you give really up eight sucked. sacks. Yeah. Eight sacks count uh, a lot. Uh, a lot of sacks, especially when Virginia Tech is missing two of their better players on their defensive line. Uh, whoops. So... Miami offensive line, you tried, but you sucked. Eight sacks, are you kidding me? Um, you got to do better than that, especially when you're a team that throws as much as you do. So the you tried award goes to Miami's offensive line. Better get better. Better get better. Sort of alluded to this earlier, better but Brad Kaya finished. Yeah. Brad Kaya finished with nine carries for negative 55 yards and a long of a two-yard carry. I think – I think at one point he, he ran a read option and actually pulled it and ran and got a couple yards, which I, I think I had to like rewind and make sure I'd seen that right because Brad Kaya just doesn't run around much. So, yeah, when he finishes with nine carries in a game, that's usually a bad thing. And uh, sure enough, it involved eight sacks that cost them, I guess, 57 yards if they had a two-yard carry. I was going to ask, is that bad, Joey? It's not good. Not good, not Bob. Not good, Bob. Not, good, not Bob. at all. <laughs> Miami offensive line, you tried, and you win the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week. Congratulations. BVG is very proud. (laughs) 
BBG wishes that he could have made somebody try like that in any of his defenses, but I don't know. I guess he didn't try hard enough for those. As he pours another bourbon and <laughs> sits on the sits on your local street corner. Yeah, this is actually super relevant because Miami giving up eight sacks. It took Notre Dame like all of September to get a sack on defense. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, it's this award and this unit were kind of made for each other in a way. Yeah, the the whole thing's ass backwards. But what are you gonna do? Of course. Okay, Mike. One more thing we got to do here. Uh, we got obviously. So this was a light week. Uh, we only had four games to recap, uh, but we still we wanted to get to some stuff that we haven't gotten to before. Uh, we had some listener questions sent in, and a couple of these have kind of piled up over the last couple of weeks. And uh, feel bad that we hadn't been able to mix those in, but uh, we'll start with one we got here from uh, Mr. Andrew Parker, I believe, a Clemson fan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, sent us this on, what was it, Thursday? No, it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. And uh, so, writes us in, and Mr. Parker says this, uh, I need some help wrapping my head around Wake Forest. It just doesn't seem plausible that those guys are 5-2 and two and contending with Florida State now. As an alumnus of Clemson, I've always led a life that doesn't believe that Wake Forest can ever truly contend for the Atlantic crown, quote, they should not have won it in 2007. And this upstart frightens me. How soon will all of us be looking at our Demon Deacon overlords wishing some plucky Tiger team could beat them? Thanks, Andrew. Okay. First, okay. Of, all, I was first gonna... of all, Steaming Deacon overlords, Andrew. <laughs> I was going to say, Joey, I'm the proponent, and you know this, I'm the proponent of the Steaming Deeks movement, right? <laughs> but to say that they were really contending with Florida State in that game I think is a little bit is a little bit off base. I mean, I, I understand the final score was was closer than a lot of people thought, but Wake Forest was never in real in a real serious spot to take that game from Florida State. I mean, at no point a couple of weeks ago when I was watching that was there a situation or a scenario playing out in my head that I thought Wake Forest could actually win the football game. And, uh, you know, I, I, for Florida State, this was not their best game offensively. Uh, or defensively, I think Wake Forest offense obviously struggled more than they had in recent weeks. But wrapping your head around Wake Forest, look, they, they won more games than expected um, out of conference, number one. Number two, they have a good running game. Uh, they, they have a couple of different backs they employ there. And, and their running defense is really good. And a lot of the teams that they've played thus far have been run-heavy teams. And Wake Forest has been able to stop those runs and keep themselves in ball games and do just enough on the offensive side of the ball uh, to, to score enough points to either win or at least hang around. And, you know, unless Wake Forest is just completely outmanned um, by the offense they're playing against, you know, if they play a team that's really pass-heavy and quick-hitting and is going to score a ton of points, that's the only time in my, in, in my mind where I see Wake Forest really having a game get out of hand just because their offense – can't score enough to keep them in games, but what Wake Forest is doing is they're sitting on the ball, they're running the ball extremely well, and they're playing really solid defense. They have an identity. They're one of the few teams in the ACC right now that has a true identity week to week. It's going to be exactly the same. They're always going to run the ball well, and they're always going to play pretty solid defense, especially against the run. And until that changes, Wake Forest is going to be in a lot of the games they play, but you know, by no means is Wake Forest a serious threat to the Atlantic. No, and I, I think, yeah, so... A couple of things we got to be clear on. First of all, as you mentioned, Mike, uh, the out-of-conference schedule for Wake Forest was not great. Um, 
and and so this is a little bit of the magic that Duke worked there for a couple of years of of winning twenty seven games in three years was, I think they had twelve out of conference games those four years and only one of them was a power five team, so it's really easy to kind of inflate your win totals and look a lot better than you maybe are if you're not challenging yourself as much with some of those out of conference games. Uh, Wake Forest out of conference so far, uh, win over Tulane, win over Delaware, and a win at Indiana. That's a big deal. That was a really good win, um, the one at Indiana. Although, as you mentioned, I mean, Indiana, a very run-heavy team. So that's kind of what Wake Forest has designed themselves to be good at. Uh, They've got one out-of-conference game remaining at home against Army this coming weekend. That's also a winnable game, although Army is a a pretty decent team this year, too. So they've built their out-of-conference schedule to be probably like a 3-1 kind of thing where they might actually end up going 4-0. That helps. Uh, the the bottom half of the Atlantic is very much able to be had, as we've seen, you know, win over Syracuse. They could uh, potentially hang with NC State. They did not in that game. Uh, they got blown out. But, um, yeah, Wake Forest, I mean, doing some things right, they're, they're going to be a defensively sound and, uh, uh, yeah, offensively not shoot themselves in the foot, maybe, kind of team. Yep. Um, and at Wake Forest in the Atlantic Division, where you're you're playing games every year against Boston College and Syracuse, I, I don't know that that's going to sustain for forever, especially as, as Syracuse continues to improve and NC State seems to be improving as well. But, um, yeah, make no mistake, that, that Florida State game was not particularly close. Um, and, and the NC State loss was also pretty indicative of what you got here. But... I mean, Wake Forest is definitely being built into like a six to seven wins per year kind of team, and that's I mean, a big that, deal for their football program. Yeah, that's a huge deal, and, and knowing where they've been, I mean, if you're a Wake Forest fan, you have to be happy with that. I mean, this is a team that's every bit capable of winning like one game per year, and if they can manage bowl eligibility and do all that, I mean, that's that's great for them. I, I don't know that the ceiling is a whole lot higher than that when you start talking about a division with Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville in it. Yep. And even teams like NC State, who are always pretty much always going to be better than Wake Forest uh, for various reasons. But that doesn't mean that you know Wake Forest can't have its own definition of success and, and achieve that on a regular basis. I mean... This is uh, this has been a good team so far this year, and it's it seems reasonably sustainable, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think this is definitely a team that's being built to reach the ceiling of bowl eligibility. And for a school that's historically been a basketball school like Duke, I mean, I think it's very similar to how Duke's kind of been built the last few years, and now Duke is actually able to pull in some better recruiting classes that they would have never really imagined pulling in a couple of years ago. And now they're to the point now where they're starting to recruit some better players. I think that's you know kind of the model that Wake Forest is going to use. They're going to say, hey, let's try to get to that six or seven win mark, make it to a bowl game, have something to recruit to, maybe win that bowl game, get some momentum to the following season, and have that same talented group come back year after year after year and kind of build that base of, hey, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot on offense. We're going to play solid defense to keep ourselves in games. And you know if they do that, they start getting six wins. They start getting seven, maybe eight wins. You have a year like Duke has um, a couple years ago where kind of everything falls correctly. You win nine games. For Wake Forest, that ends up being a massive deal. You can recruit to that. You start bringing in better recruiting classes. You look at Duke five years ago recruiting versus where they are now. Duke is bringing in almost predominantly all three-star recruits now. Um, They've brought in 
a four-star or two the last couple of years, but it's almost all three-stars. You look at what they were doing five years ago, they were bringing in nowhere near the amount of three-star recruits that they're bringing in now, and I know that's not a big deal, and everybody likes to get into recruiting four and five stars. If you look at most college football teams, the base of your team, the foundation of your team, is three-star recruits, at least in the ACC. You know, there are the exceptions, okay, Alabama, they're pulling in five-star recruits all the time. Florida State, half their team, you know, half their team's five-star. And if you're not five-star, you're a four-star. But for most of the teams in the ACC and most of the teams in college football, to be honest with you, unless you're one of those top five recruiting classes, the foundation of your team is going to be three-star recruits anyway. And if you start pulling in those three-star recruits on a regular basis like Duke is starting to do, you're going to have a team that's going to improve and it's going to be good year after year. And bowl expectat- and, and you know getting to a bowl game, becoming bowl eligible – isn't all of a sudden a novelty, it's an expectation. And I think if you get to that point with Wake Forest, that's going to say something about the improvement of the program, what Dave Clawson is doing down there uh, in Winston-Salem. But I think Wake Forest is on the right track, and I completely agree with you. I think that six or seven win threshold is what they're going for right now and something they can recruit to here in the future, especially if they start winning bowl games. Yeah, and I think that within reason, the program itself probably has a ceiling of like, eight wins per year, but that's assuming that everybody else in the division takes care of business. If, if that's not the case, you know, if let's say that Florida state starts to fall apart, like they did a little bit under uh, the end of Bobby Bowden's reign, or, you know, Clemson kind of reverts back to a little bit of what you saw under Terry Bowden or, you know, something like this. Uh, Wow. The Bowden's kind of ruined the Atlantic there for a portion of time. That's fine. Whoops. Uh, You know, you never know like what, what, what Wake Forest is able to do kind of jump up and steal a game or two and, and maybe even, have a one-off kind of like 10-win season. And that was what got them to an ACC championship game that I don't think actually happened, Mike. It was – we're just not going to talk about the one back in 06. That was the worst thing that ever happened. But um, the, the other thing that I think needs to be brought up here is that one of the biggest things that Wake Forest has really thrived on this year is turnovers. Yep. Uh, their defense has, has created a ton of turnovers. They're tied for 16th nationally with 15 takeaways on the year. And they're tied for 17th nationally at a plus-six turnover margin. So that's been a huge calling card for them. No telling if that's sustainable or not. Uh, A lot of folks who are statistically and numerically inclined would say it's not. They would say that's a very luck-based thing, and it'll eventually kind of revert to the mean. But ultimately, uh, it's it's been a huge benefit for Wake Forest and I think a big testament to the, uh, the, the discipline they're playing with on defense. Uh, Yeah, I mean, no arguments here on my end. I think, you know, defensively they're creating a lot of turnovers, aberration or not. It's what they're doing right now. Offensively, they're not really shooting themselves in the foot like they've done in recent years, and I think that's also a huge part of it. So when you have both of those going for you, you're going to have a year like they're having right now where they're already at five wins. It's been a very weird season. I don't think either of us were expecting them to get to a five-win mark at all on the season. They have five wins in their first seven games there undoubtedly go into a bowl game unless there's just a complete collapse, which I don't see happening. There are a couple of wins left on their schedule for sure, in my opinion. So I'm looking at Wake Forest. It's just a matter of, you know, can they sustain it? But, you know, this isn't a team that's anywhere near ready to contend for the Atlantic, given the teams at the top. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, be a guy that's talking on a podcast right now to see that. But um, I think Wake Forest is a, is a team to watch for in the next few years to see how can they build off the success that they're having right now in 2016? Absolutely. we got two more here, Mike, real quick. You want to go to uh, your lady real quick, or are we going to the one from Twitter? Yeah, we can We can go to my girlfriend's question, which, uh, Caitlin, if you're listening to this, 
you know, thank you for the question, obviously. Um, that was so polite. She, yeah, uh, you know, she wants us to come out here and rank our top five fan bases for football uh, in the ACC, Joe. And I think your your perspective and my perspective uh, will be a little bit different given, but you know, where both of us went to school. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear what what yours is, if you even thought about or had one in mind, um, or even a top three. I think would uh, kind of get the ball rolling on this. Oh, we can kind of piece one together here. Uh... Number one overall, Georgia Tech. Maybe. Maybe for, we'll just for better or for worse, right? Uh, number one A, uh, Clemson. I'll take Clemson. I like the Clemson fan base. I think they they get out there and uh, support the team constantly and, and create a pretty raucous atmosphere at uh, Death Valley there. So, give me Clemson as number one A, uh, along with Georgia Tech at number one. Um, I'm actually going to put Virginia Tech. I think at number two. I I'm tempted by a couple of others, but I think that Virginia Tech is more consistent maybe than those others are. Uh, so we'll put them at number two. I'll give Florida State number three, and I think that's where the consistency piece comes in is there's sometimes where Dote Campbell is absolutely rocking and it is a, is a crazy atmosphere. And there's other times where it's just, you know, it's like a church. Like it's just, it's quiet and it's reverent and it's nice. But uh, so we'll go with that. Uh, number four, are we counting Notre Dame as an ACC team? We can. We talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, we'll go Notre Dame. Notre Dame number four, that's, that's a pretty easy one. That's a huge fan base. Uh, that is always going to be a very tough place to play, regardless of what kind of season they're having. And number five, I don't know. I mean, I guess I got five already if I got one, one, a two, three, and four. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's five. Uh. uh maybe five. Se- uh, secretly, the Syracuse fan base. Okay. Yeah. I bad. got. I got one you haven't mentioned yet that I'm going to include in my top five here. Uh, let's start at number five. Um, I'm going to go with Florida State number five. Uh, the consistency part of it is a good point. Um, you know, I think Florida State's fans, whether they're good or bad. They show up. They care about their team, which is, which is huge. You see a lot of teams in the ACC right now that are good and don't really care about their team. Uh, North Carolina. That's talking to you. Um, yeah. So number five in my mind's Florida State. Number four. Um, I'm gonna go. Miami. Yeah. God. <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah. There are there are more more fans in my house right now than are at their games most times. Uh, that's that's three currently and four at full capacity for those keeping score at home. Um, no, number four, I'm going to go with NC State. Now, their stadium is nuts. I mean, they have a constant sellout, but their fan base, I think, is more in tune with the basketball program than football, but of course they care a lot about their football team. They're number four on my list. Number three, in my mind, if we're counting Notre Dame, I think the the Irish are right near the top because their fans are crazy about the football program. Their alumni and their boosters are insane. Um, the expectations are always high at Notre Dame. That's you know why their fan base is as good as it is. Number two is Virginia Tech. I think it might be a little biased, admittedly, because um, you know I'm a Hokie, but I do believe that Lane Stadium is one of the more imposing venues in college football, especially when Virginia Tech is good and the fans in Blacksburg care a ton and like, like I just mentioned with Notre Dame when the fans care that goes a long way um, towards your football team being good because you're not going to accept mediocrity 
which is what Virginia Tech kind of accepted ironically under Frank Beamer last four or five years before the Fuente era kicked off, but that's a story for another day. Um, that number one on my list is Clemson. I, I haven't been to Death Valley. From everything I've heard, it's insane, but I have been to um, the ACC championship game in 2011 when Virginia Tech played Clemson. Clemson sold out that stadium. It was unbelievable, the atmosphere in there, and I imagined that a game uh, in Death Valley would be just like that and even more. So uh, number one, my list is Clemson, two, Virginia Tech, three, Notre Dame, four, whoever the hell I said, Florida, uh, State. Florida State, and five, no. NC State, maybe a flip-flop, flip-flop yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, those are my top five. I totally did forget about NC State. That was a good one. I, I think I messed that up. NC State, hey, you're number five, not Syracuse. Yeah, we're, you know. It's like whose line is it anyway, you know, where the rankings are made up and the points don't matter. So, sorry, Syracuse. At least you got the yeah, Orange Eagle Trophy. You're out of here. Okay, last one, Mike. Uh, this one comes in from Mr. Todd Handel or Handel or Handel or something. Hansel. Like Hansel and Hansel. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Gretel. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is actually from a few weeks ago. Asked me on asked us on Twitter. Uh, can Georgia Tech rebound and make a bowl? And where do their last three wins come from? So this is. After the Pittsburgh game, where uh, Georgia Tech was three and three, uh, I, I'll, I'll respond here and I'll let you kind of chime in if there's anything you kind of disagree with or uh, want to pile on with. I, I told him I, I think that they do. I thought they were going to win against Georgia Southern, which they did. I think they win this weekend against Duke. We'll talk more about that later this week. I think that they win in uh, November against Virginia on Senior Day. And at this point, I want to add in, I don't think it's out of the question that they beat Georgia this year. Um, Georgia, I agree. Georgia looks a little suspect in a lot of ways, and they look beatable. I, I'm not going to ever put them at like a better than 50% chance of winning until that seems like a constant you know, kind of possibility, but um, that's a winnable game. Yeah, I think Georgia Tech's in good position to at the very least make ball eligibility, but I don't think it's totally out of the question that they finish the regular season with like eight wins. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're going to play it safe here, we're going to say, you know, Georgia Tech 6-6, six and six, but I'm with you. I mean, I think that Georgia game is definitely winnable, even though it's on the road. I mean, it's a it's a rivalry game. They play every year. Georgia Tech knows what they're getting out of Georgia, and Georgia might not be as good as everybody thinks they are, and or, or at least everybody thought they were uh, earlier in the year. You know, I think the Duke game this coming weekend is huge. We'll get into that, you know, on the preview pod, like I said. But I think that's definitely a winnable game. Virginia, uh, at the end of November, winnable game. At Georgia, I think that's a winnable game. I think the two that um, are probably out of the question, I don't want to say out of the question, but are two of their, their tougher games going at UNC and at Virginia Tech back-to-back here to start November. I think that's going to be a really difficult stretch for Georgia Tech. Um not that I don't think they can compete in either one of those games. I absolutely do. But I think that out of their five games remaining, those are two tougher ones, even though I think a lot of people want to throw in the Georgia game, potentially being their toughest game left. I mean, I'd, I'd argue that it's not. I'd say that North Carolina and Virginia Tech are both on the road and both tougher games um, than that of Georgia. But um, I, I think those are the three tougher games remaining on the schedule. But I think the Duke and Virginia games are definitely winnable and games that I expect Georgia Tech to win to get to bowl eligibility. I'm chalking up the Virginia Tech game as a total loss at this point. I don't think that there's any real chance that they're going to go into Blacksburg and beat the Hokies at that point in the year. I think the Carolina game shouldn't be a win, but it could be. Like, that's not a totally impossible game to win if you're Georgia Tech. And as I said, you know, the, the Georgia game is winnable. So there, there's 
reason to be encouraged. Um, there's, it's not totally out of the question that they uh, they finish again like a you know in these last five games. They, it's possible they finish like four and one, um, but I would think that two and three is like pretty much like a worst case scenario here. So Georgia Tech should be starting a new bowl streak this year, which is uh, a good thing after a really poor performance a year ago that cost them a bowl streak. So. Uh, but thank you, Todd, for writing in. Thank you to Andrew Parker for writing in on the Wake Forest question. And, Mike, uh, thank you for including your girlfriend in our podcast. That's, uh, yep. that's a good question from her. Yep. So three listener questions. Keep them coming. Yeah, please do that. You can reach us via email at the uh, longest-known email address in the history of mankind. I'm starting to slip up here. This is i gotta, I got to work on the technique here. Longest email address in mankind history, whatever, basketballconferencepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Google Play. Uh, we got stuff on there. You uh, can go in there and rate and review us. Uh, please do that. I heard somebody say this is like the, the greatest podcast experience of their life. Uh, I might have paid my wife to go in and write that, but you know, whatever. They said it. So. They weren't lying. <laughs> they weren't lying. Uh, yeah, Mike, anything else before we uh, get out of here? No, I think we're all set. On to the preview podcast, Joey. Yeah, we'll preview week nine, be back here uh, in the middle of this week. we got a, a big old slate of week nine action. Uh, it's a nice follow-up to uh, a little bit of a slower week eight. So, uh, Mike, have a great rest of your night. We'll talk a little later this week. Yeah, sounds good, Joey. Thanks. All right, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. And until then, go ACC.